Well, the short form video, I mean, is really so important these days and moving away from paid traffic and you know, that kind of performance through marketing, but just organically building an audience through short form video can be incredibly powerful. Yeah, like if you think of what we think of as influencer marketing today has been going on since the dawn of time. Like the air, is it air? I believe the documentary that just came out on Netflix on Nike signing Michael Jordan, that was influencer marketing. They're now, they're creating an association between their brand and Michael Jordan. So when you see Michael Jordan, you think of Nike. You think of Dwayne Johnson with Under Armour and you know now he's got his energy drinks, Zoa, he's got his tequila. These are partnerships. If you think of Ryan Reynolds with his gin, was it Mint Mobile? Like all of these people, they're creating partnerships, they're creating associations, they're utilizing their attention. This is the Customer Acquisition Show, the podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business. Hello and welcome to the Customer Acquisition Show. I am your host, Tom Merritt, the VP of Marketing here at Tier 11. Today we are joined by a couple pretty common guests, Nick and Landon, but we have a new face on the show today, Federico. How's everybody doing? Doing great, doing great. Happy to be here. So we have two North America, two South America, got quite the split. Everybody's in somewhat similar time zones which is often pretty rare for Tier 11. We have what we call the uh, triangle of death when you try to do Europe, the Americas, and Australia. So happy nobody's up too late or too early. Today's episode is kind of dovetailing on what we talked about last week with Ralph, really leaning into this idea of brand as one of the core tenets for creating a long-term business and getting off of the hamster wheel that tends to be like conversion ads. So with this episode, what are some of the things that we really are finding lately within the brand awareness and building brand for some of our clients? Well, that's a big question. <laughs> Following on yeah. from the you know, last week's show with Ralph and Landon, you know, I, I think it's clear that we have this inflection point in online advertising where look, brand advertising has always been important. It's always been important to find your audiences, or actually even create your audiences, finding those solution unaware people who don't even know you exist and making them aware of who you are. Because one way of defining a brand is the sum of awareness, how many people are aware you exist, and the associations they associate to your business. But with Online advertising, ever since conversion tracking was invented, the ability to actually spend money on advertising and know how much money you're making back, for a long time, that didn't exist. So we have this period where you know, Meta Ads launched around 2000, I don't know the exact, I think it was 2012, around then, there was no conversion tracking. Then conversion tracking was introduced. The corporate world didn't take meta advertising seriously for a long time, probably not until the later part of the 2010s. So we had this ridiculously cheap inventory. You had businesses born overnight, people creating certain food processes or some little invention in the house. And then overnight, almost, they're advertising on Facebook and creating businesses. Those days, those golden days, unfortunately, we're in a new age now where the inventory on the ad platforms, both meta ads and Google, for conversions, super, super saturated. In order to grow, we're working with some clients who are at that point where they've scaled, just purely focusing on direct response conversions. But where do they go now? How do they reach an audience which they know is out there, 
it's probably the way to reach those people is not through continually focusing on conversions. So that's what we're seeing with some clients. We have a client, they sell, they're an educational, they basically sell training and software for helping people become credit consultants. Super exciting account in you know, Landon Federico. I've worked on this account too, but Landon Federico have worked really extensively on this account to help them grow. But they're actually in this stage now where they're like, where do we go next? How do we reach more people? Yeah, I think there's, like Nick said, it's an incredibly big topic. It's an incredibly controversial topic, especially with like diehard performance marketers, diehard direct response marketers, where, you know, you want to be able to track and record everything. But we're coming to a day and age where media is just different. There is so many platforms out there. There is so much content vying for people's attention that the game has just changed and you tack on the decreased ability to track with like the iOS 14 privacy updates, the upcoming iOS 17 updates, we're losing the ability to get this nice clean data and track people. So this is where we have to start to adapt our approach to marketing and just like the inflection of having a platform like Meta was a massive game changer. But now people have kind of caught on. It's not unfamiliar to businesses. So we need to start to adapt our strategy to go, okay, competition is extremely high in almost every niche and vertical that I see. Competition is fierce. So how can we now start to differentiate ourselves and start to grow beyond that? And that's where we kind of start to, to dive into this conversation around kind of like brand marketing. I think that's the whole idea even of inventory being like this scarce resource on these platforms. You know, oftentimes we act like Meta is just creating scarcity where none exists because they have unlimited inventory. But really, this is Meta charging you for their brand because if they become known as a brand that is just pushing DR or uh, conversion ads one after another into their feed, their brand becomes associated with it. So they're charging us for how we are utilizing their brand and they want to make sure that they're protecting their brand where it's not just about advertising, but it is about the experience for customers. And I think maybe that's a segue to something that we can talk about a little bit further is like, how does brand advertising expand the experience for the customer? I'll jump in there. I think branding is interesting because when we talk about it in this context of like performance marketing, it sometimes seems like a foreign concept. But when we start to just branch out and learn what other industries and what other companies have been doing since the dawn of time, we see so many instances of how powerful brand is. And just like you said, we wouldn't be here having this conversation about meta ads if meta hadn't built one of the biggest brands in the world. We're like right there, that's the power of brand marketing. Like they built this massive company. If you look at somebody like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, worth like a billion dollars, why can he create a tequila company or partner with Under Armour and do all of those types of things and create massive success? It's because of brand. So when we talk about it in terms of like performance marketing and moving from just pure direct response, we know that there's a finite people that are ready to purchase at any given time. And we at some point in time, at some level of spend with our advertising dollars, we're going to saturate that market. So let's say you might be able to spend $50,000 a month with just rapid growth, and there's going to be a point of diminishing returns on, let's say, meta ads. And then, okay, well, now you can maybe you diversify and you add in Google ads, maybe you add in TikTok ads, you're still going to hit an inflection point where there's diminishing returns because that pool 
that you're trying to go after is small. Brand, we're going to expand that pool of people that are ready to purchase. We're going to go out into that broader market and start to capture people and bring them to the point of knowing who our brand is and wanting to purchase from us. So that's kind of where this conversation of how does it actually bring more people to purchase from us. If we think of like the traditional funnel concept of like bringing people to that point of making that purchase, we're just bringing more people into the top of that funnel. And that's kind of how I look at brand advertising in like a very oversimplistic way. Measurement doesn't go away. I think one of the scary things for businesses who are, okay, look, we want to grow our brand. We want to invest in brand advertising. There can almost be this concept of, well, you know, okay, we're going to take this portion of our marketing budget, invest it in brand advertising, but there's no way of knowing if it's working. We're just going to invest this and, and pray and have faith, which is very fluffy for any business owner. So, you know, looking at some of the measurement strategies, this is what shifts. So a lot of businesses in our the range of clients we work with who may have you know annual revenue between one million on the lower end to anywhere up to like a hundred million on the on the top end, this still is a significant investment. Now investing in focus groups, things like this using traditional market research methods still may not be practical because of the cost involved. Meta now has tools for, for measuring the impact, the business impacts of brand advertising, conversion lift, brand lift, power lift studies, which will take sample sizes in the market and give you data on how much awareness has grown, how many people are actually aware. And there's different methods they use to do this. And you can do the same thing for consideration. So that takes an understanding of how awareness and consideration is going to impact your business. There is a widely used accepted theory that your share of voice in the advertising in the market roughly equates to your market share. So if you want 10% market share in your market, your overall advertising, and that's all channels, should be roughly equivalent to 10% share of voice. So in certain fields, just say you have competitors who are at, you know, you may have competitors who are advertising on TV, billboards out of home, which again, have these massive marketing budgets. But we find a lot of our clients, their main competitors are in a similar position. They're advertising online. So it really comes down to having a similar share of voice for advertising online, but also being able to measure that. I think once the measurement aspect is in place, business owners feel a lot more comfortable bringing this to the CFO or bringing this and say, okay, this investment makes sense. So Nick, can you talk a little bit more about share of voice? Is this something that we can measure now? And I think it's something that we, as an example, see a lot in the personal injury lawyers that we work with. Those that have very strong TV presences and billboard presences like, often translate to a lot better online than those that are focused solely on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the personal lead. injury space, that's a really good one to talk about because obviously you're not going to get direct access to your competitors' marketing spend and marketing budgets. However, there's some great tools that will allow you to estimate, get a really good estimate. So tools like SpyThru, SEM Rush, even really when you're looking in certain markets for personal injury law, how much the cost per clicks are in Google search. So, you know, reverse engineering that if you're in a market where cost per clicks are over $100, which is not uncommon for personal injury law, and you have a good idea of who your main competitors are, you're you're actually able to see in your auction insights in Google search, who is bidding on the same keywords and how much there's actually a share of voice column in Google search. So that gives you a pretty good idea of, you know, your overall advertising spend. 
Now, this Google search is a great, great example because search ads do not build brands. Let's face it, search ads can drive leads, they can drive sales, but they're text ads. They're really not going to be a sticking point for you know, creating those associations and awareness in the market. People are already searching. And this is where we find with our personal injury clients, if they're not running ads on Meta or YouTube, the first thing we say is, hey, let's start running some Meta ads. Let's start building awareness. And this is where in personal injury law, people don't wake up and go searching for a personal injury law when they don't need neither. However, having this awareness style advertising, if somebody's in a car accident, who's the first lawyer that they're going to think of? It's the one who has really reached them the most with the awareness style advertising, which is why you see the billboard, you see the TV ads. But now we're seeing online, these online platforms, Meta and, and YouTube, become real serious players in brand advertising. If you're not advertising on these platforms to build awareness, I'd say it's crucial these days. Yeah, I think the interplay between the platforms is a really interesting concept. And I think it's something you don't necessarily realize until you start running ads across multiple platforms for a single client. So there's companies that are larger than others that are going to have more people going to Google and searching for them. Like if you're running $10,000 in ads and you're like maybe a sub $1 million, you know, $1 million business, you might not have enough awareness of your brand for you to have this tremendous amount of people just going to Google and searching to purchase from you. But as businesses grow and as that awareness grows, something that I've seen with clients is when we're looking at the conversions coming from LinkedIn, conversions coming from Facebook, we're like, okay, they're all view through conversions. And then we look at, oh, we're getting a lot of conversions and really high ROAS on Google. In the past, we might be like, okay, we need to fix this. How do we start getting only click-through conversions? But I really like to start to come at this from a completely different perspective and go, okay, if this is the behavior, how can we lean into this? How can we leverage these top of funnel platforms to really be really amazing top of funnel platforms to just get in front of people and allow them to convert with our Google ads? Like sometimes we don't need to fight what's already happening and happening in the industry. Like we don't need to fight the algorithms. We don't need to necessarily fight what is already happening and how people are making their purchase decisions. Sometimes we can lean into it to actually amplify what's going on. Hey, Frederico, what was the ROAS difference in Google ads versus meta ads? This was a really interesting conversation because it was such a difference, but we know the reason why. But what was the ROAS difference between Google ads and meta ads in terms of the reporting that we see in one of our clients we have who is in the credit repair training space? Yeah. Yeah, the difference was ridiculous. We were uh, about 1 point something X on Meta and Google was like 20X, 15X. And as Landon mentioned, I think it's, I think it's like thinking about doing more of what's working and not trying to fix the issue if it's not an issue. And as Landon also mentioned, you start realizing this when you're working with a client that, and you can manage all their media platforms and all their advertising budgets and you start to see that synergy between platforms. And I agree with that. We should start thinking about how to improve what's already working and do more what's working, like Frank Kern says. Right. And, and then if you, know, you look at that ROAS difference and you just think like, oh, oh, Google Ads is getting this 20x. Let's spend more money there. That's not how it works. The meta ads with that 1.7x ROAS in this reporting, which is just really taught me about the people that are ready to buy right now, of course, if they're searching on Google Ads for a very specific solution, the ROAS is going to be higher. 
But the meta ads are doing the heavy lifting of getting people into the ecosystem. That's why the ROAS is going to be lower at the top of the funnel in terms of the reporting. But this is where investing more in these types of campaigns, like even looking in the technical level of what you're optimizing for, reach campaigns on meta ads are the CPMs there, the cost to reach 1,000 people. CPMs are usually $2 and below. Now, if you're optimizing solely for conversions, you're likely going to see CPMs of $20 plus, sometimes like $50, $60, $70. And you're really in this dogfight going along with all the other competitors and not just your competitors. Because the people who are looking for your products are on Meta, they're browsing. Other businesses in other industries are trying to get conversions from them too. And Meta has this finite inventory. So you're in this dogfight of going after these people who are ready to buy. And it's still, this is not going away. But performance marketing and these short-term sales activation, you still need really strong media buying. You still need people who know what they're doing. Like, you know, Frederico here is one of our best media buyers. You still need people who are going in and media buyers who are going after these conversions in the right way. But through brands, through increasing awareness, this over time makes this easier. And then instead of going after people cold, trying to get conversions from them, in this pool of people, you've built up this mental real estate in the mind, which then gives you this advantage when you're going into that dogfight. Let's set the stage a little bit for this credit repair client. I mean, they've been with this for quite a while. So I imagine there was a transition period from where they were a lot more focused on conversion campaigns to where we are now. So let's talk a little bit about where they were previously and what kind of success they're seeing. And then from there, what was the realization that we needed to shift something? Yeah, Federico, I'd love for for you to kind of kick that off a little bit. You've been on the account longer than I have. So I'd love to kind of hear your feedback from like where things originated from. Yeah, when the client landed on the agency, they actually had their ad account shut down. So because of restrictions and some limitations on the topic of credit, when we started, we were only running Facebook ads and then we took over the Google site. I wanted to go back to something that we talked about earlier and that synergy between Google and Facebook or Meta. It's a testament to that. Sometimes we we have a call and and we share thoughts and insights about what's happening on Meta and on Google. And I think that's great too. And sometimes we see a decline in performance on Google and it's because for some reason, the spend on Meta was lower. So that's how Synergy works. And and it's a testament to that back and forth between platforms and one fueling the other. We, as most accounts, we did a lot of conversion at the beginning. And in the last few months, maybe a year, we started, I think the magic word is growth. That's what most clients want. I want to grow, I want to scale. To do that efficiently, we need to, as you guys mentioned, we need to increase the audiences and especially this kind of client that I think most people are not aware that they could get certification information and do it for themselves and then do it for others. And that's an opportunity that not most people are aware. So we started tapping on top of the one content, blog posts, lead magnets. And as Landon mentioned, it's not something that we need to do like drastically. It's something that we start injecting a little bit and a little bit of the budget and seeing what's working and which one of those top of the funnel content works better. And then feeding back to the that information to the client saying, okay, this is something that people like. And it's like a voting system. And I think Kasim mentioned this on the program. And we're not switching budgets drastically, but we're slowly increasing top of the funnel content budget. And that is helping the conversion as well. 
Did it take a lot of work to really sell the client on this idea or are they pretty bought in? I know that's a challenge sometimes with people who grew up in the golden age of performance marketing. Now, this is a great client to work with because we also have a lot of content to work with. The one thing is to ask for content and say specifically one this, that, the other, and that's really hard to get clients to provide their content and do it in a in a good fashion. But this this client is great because they're we present these ideas and they're really open to most of them and they have a lot of ammunition. They have a lot of videos, they have a lot of content, they produce a lot, so it's close to a perfect client in that sense. Yeah, and just to dive into to some of the numbers, just to kind of paint a picture for everybody tuning in, with this client specifically taking a sample from the last six months. So a quarter over quarter comparison, we increased the spend on what I would refer to as branding content. So not driving people directly to a purchase. This could be lead magnets and blog posts and video view campaigns that are being utilized. We increased spend on those campaigns by 55% in the last three months compared to the prior quarter. ROAS for the account as a whole only decreased by 6%. So if I think of that's relatively flat kind of quarter over quarter, but we invested heavily into these branding activities. And then we start to think, okay, that's just only a three month time. What were the side benefits? What were the little extras that we got? Well, we generated an extra 14,000 leads for the company. So I'm pretty confident that over the course of the next three months, six months, that out of those 14,000 people, some of those people are going to convert into customers. So it's like we've built up a ton of audiences into the warm traffic. We've built up a ton of leads while actually remaining stable with the ROAS across the entire account. We have to start to zoom out and adjust how we're looking at measurement. But like Federico said, we didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, we're just going to quick, we're going to take 20% of our overall budget and put it into these campaigns. It's been a slow kind of incremental approach to integrating branding, branding marketing. And that budget conversation shifts perfectly into a question we have from Roshna. How do you suggest a small business to build a perfect ratio between brand awareness and conversion-based campaigns? Now, kind of what are the key metrics you recommend to look at? I think this is something that comes up. I think defining small business, because this does affect where the business is at in terms of their growth. For a business that has, say, 1 million revenue and below, building a brand here probably isn't the highest priority right now. It's finding the customers, scaling sales, and really reaching that point where revenue is growing. But by definition, a brand, if say a brand is the combination of awareness and associations in a market, you're probably not going to have a lot of awareness if you're a business of that size. But let's say a small business is anywhere from 25 million to 100 million revenue, which is the definition of something like that in the US, the classification of small businesses. There's a general, some general rules of thumbs here. If you look at, without getting too scholarly, it's a great paper published in 2012, I believe, for the long and the short of it, which talks exactly about this topic. And yes, it is more aimed at corporations, but the general rule of thumb here is 60% brand advertising, 40% sales activation, which sounds like a lot. So if currently the balance is 0% brand advertising and 100% conversion advertising, the first step might be, okay, let's put 30% into some brand and awareness intent campaigns and have your questions ready for that investment, what you're looking to measure, have that, those measurements in place and run that for six months. So then you're going to get some more insights, some more data as to what content is resonating. If you're using some of Meta's studies there, you'll be able to find the lift in awareness. 
either in awareness or even conversions from people who saw that content versus people who didn't. And from there, you can use that data to run your next investment in brand advertising for the next two quarters. Then you may shift that balance to 40-60. And but over time, that general rule of thumb is 60-40. This is pretty interesting too. The more of a commodity that your product is, or the more competition you have, the more likely you will need to increase your investment in brand advertising. If you have a very unique product that nobody else has and you only have your competitors, then really you're in the market trying to raise your awareness versus your competitors. But if you're selling something like, say, matches, okay, uh, redhead, redhead matches, then well, the financial industry is a great one. The general rule in the finance industry with banks says 80% brand advertising, 20% sales activation because let's face it, how unique are banks? Not very. So they've got to create those associations for something that is commodity. Yeah, just to add on to that, I think is the percentages are great, but it also factors in, like you said, it's the size of the business because a smaller business doesn't need to worry about these activities the same way because like we said, you hit an inflection point where you saturate the market. And if you're small enough, you don't necessarily need to worry about it until you've saturated the market. I might say it might be beneficial to get out ahead of it and not worry about till you hit that point of diminishing returns. But if you think in the direct response world, Eugene Schwartz levels of awareness, the more aware the market is, the more of a need there's going to be to do brand marketing, because you don't just have this unique thing that's new to the market that people are just going to purchase it because you're the only one offering it. If, let's say, insurance, where every company is effectively offering the exact same product, that's why these companies do so much brand marketing, because you just have to be the one that they think of when they want to make that purchase. So it shifts based on what you're selling and there's no hard and fast rule. And I think with the question that came in, it specifically said brand awareness. So with that specifically, I don't view these things as like hard and fast because we could get very specific and technical and go, are we speaking about like the brand awareness campaign type on platform? Or are we talking generally about marketing that builds brand awareness? So we can get into the weeds on those type of things. I like to just refer to it as like brand marketing because we can get, was it reach? Is it a video view campaign? Is it a traffic campaign? We can get really into the weeds on that. But understanding that level of awareness, the more competition in the market, the higher the likelihood of the benefit of the brand marketing. I was saying, I think we can get into the weeds a little bit, but a slightly different thing. I like your take on this, Federico, of like media buyers, and from my perspective, have gone from a bit more like button pushers to now like budget allocators. And not just on a single platform, it's like balancing budget across all the different objectives, across all of the platforms that a client's on. And this is maybe a way to back into the answer to this question a little bit. Like, How do you think about where to allocate budget across everything that's aligned with the business goals? Well, I think you get your KPIs. So you basically have some constraints. And basically, you need, in terms of the percentage of branding versus conversion, that's a conversation you need to have with the client, with the company to sell them on the long run. If we're aiming to work more on branding, we can talk about that for hours in terms of the benefits of building a brand and delaying that that sale and that gratification to a few months instead of trying to go for it right now. And in terms of the synergy, there's, as Landon mentioned, you only see that when you work with a particular client with different sources. So that's when you see the correlation between them and actually also working together and how you can 
get nuggets of insights from one to the other. So this topic in top of the funnel for Meta, let's say it's getting good cost per click or good engagement. So let's try it on Google, same way, the other way around. So it's beneficial on, on both ends. Yeah, I think that's one of the things for at least like marketing leaders to like think about is like not splitting out the channels to different either agencies or people, or at least they have to have a strong sense of balance themselves because if they don't have a strong sense of that then the people who are responsible for the channel are going to want to claim all the credit and that kind of defeats the whole purpose of balancing because credit usually goes to the person who generates the last click in the sale and that's not what we're trying to do here as far as building a longer term brand we talked a little bit beforehand i think this is something you brought up about the postponed payoff of brand marketing how do you think about like the timelines there and sell that to the people you're working with oh yeah, that's a tough one, especially depending on the product. And you just remind me of a joke that we had with Nick. We were talking about the relationship between Google and Meta and the ROAS that Google was getting. And he mentioned that it was just like in golf. We, we landed the ball on the green and he was just pushing it. I like an analogy of like running a marathon when it comes to these types of things. So if everybody's starting a marathon at the same time, let's say you have like 100 people starting to run a marathon, they're all in progress. And as those people start to finish the marathon, if you don't have more people starting to run that marathon, at some point, you're not going to have any more people crossing the finish line. And that's kind of how I like to think about the delayed benefit of the growth of these type of tactics is we need to have continuously pulling more people to the start of that race. The race and that journey is the customer journey. Everybody's going to run a different time. Everybody's going to cross the finish line at a different time. Not everybody's going to cross the finish line. But this brand marketing is going to continuously bring people to the starting line to get them into the race. I like to look at probably quarters as the biggest time frame from when I'm looking at these types of benefits, looking at over a three-month span of time. And that's why at Tier 11, we're doing quarterly reports for our clients, showing quarter over quarter changes in our performance. And I think that anything smaller than a three-month time span is not going to be big enough to really start to show the results that you're looking for. Yeah, well, I guess on the topic of reporting, we have another question from our guy, Anthony, every week coming in with the heat. Do you use view-through conversions as a reporting contribution metric for clients? For example, view-throughs contribute 40% of conversions or for every X impression view, expect one conversion. Is that a way that you guys, I guess in general, how do you report to clients? This is a great like question. Definitely a media buyer guy. You can tell this is a question from a media buyer. I would say we don't have a specific calculation like this. I think this, this question also needs to take into account the platform. The view-through conversions on YouTube are, I think, somewhat different to view-through conversions on Meta, just because of the difference of how videos are presented. And that the whole topic of view through conversions and measuring view through conversions. I think, you know, we could have a whole episode dedicated to that. But Landon, remember the client we had in the supplement space where on meta view through conversions can actually be an issue if the brand, this is a great example for this episode, when this client actually had a really strong brand, very well-known brand. And in this case, view through conversions on meta were actually an issue because 
Landon, do you remember the client that I'm referring to? Yeah, I remember. I remember the client exactly. And your example you're going into is exactly what I was going to talk about. I think it's a perfect example. And so actually, you know, you were on this account. So you might remember the actual metrics. But if you just looked at the combined ROAS in the account, I think it was like 20x on meta ads. But when you look at the ratio between view through conversions and click conversions, it was so heavily weighted in view through conversions. And I believe we assumed, Landon, that this was happening because meta... It was so easy to spot the people who are ready to buy. So Meta would just show them ads, but they were probably already going to buy anyway. Then it inflated the ROAS. You probably remember more of the details and what we were trying to do to combat this. Yeah, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Like I don't think view-through conversions are a bad thing. I think it's a bad thing when if, let's say, you have a really strong brand and you are only responsible for the Facebook ads then it's really, really hard. But if you're running all of the paid media, then you get to kind of zoom out and you can look at, okay, this channel is generating more view through conversions. Is this an issue? Like, is it, if we spend more, does our overall revenue generated and profitability across all channels increase? Because we could be capturing those conversions on the Google side, but we're generating the view it's getting in front of the person on Facebook. So I think that's where things like MER, like how you're viewing and tracking the metrics and performance is really important. Because let's say you're working with a brand that is a big influencer. They put out tons of organic social media content across YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and they're running TV ads. Well, obviously, you're going to have way more view through conversions on a channel like Meta compared to somebody else just because they have so much awareness for their brand already. So the odds of them just seeing it and click are going to be a lot different than a brand that has zero brand awareness. The only time that person sees that company is when they see your ad. So like I think Nick said, we don't have a specific in terms of how we're interpreting that data, I think what we're doing as an agency is we are zooming out to see, is it an actual issue? And we're trying to look at more of like the holistic improvement in the MER or the ROAS across the account. But I do know for, and Federico can speak to this with one of the clients we were talking about, we don't usually with our third-party tracking view 100% of the view through conversions we usually come to an agreement with what the client is acceptable. And usually that might be like 50% view through confidence or something like that. Yeah. And that specific third party tool that you were talking about, there's not much of a difference in terms of the view through conversion. You can select the level of confidence from 0% to 100%. And that's one, I think, you talked about this on the previous show, talking about shopping plus campaigns in Meta. And we were testing that and we were getting a lot of view through conversions there. So it was like the ROAS was kind of inflated. And the thing that caught our attention was that usually that account doesn't see that much view through conversions. So that was the, the fishy part of it. But yeah, it's a tricky one. And it's a great, great question. We're going to be talking about this for yeah, hours. I think it's a great point you made, Federico, like looking for deviations from trends. If you get 40% of the conversions are view through, and that's like status quo for the account, yeah, obviously you can work on improving that to try and get more like click to buy conversions, but it just might be the nature of their product. It might be the nature of that brand. But if all of a sudden it goes from 40 to 75, well, there might be something going on there. It's like when we have those large deviations, those are usually what's going to draw more attention and require a yeah. deeper dive. And here too, I think this is where measurement shifts. See, a brand like this, 
is not struggling so much for awareness, but now what they're fighting for is mental real estate against their competitors. So running the ads on Meta, ROAS may not be the right metric to use in terms of you know, just looking at conversions. So this is where the other tools that Meta has for brand lift, awareness lift, power lift, and possibly if it's a very well-known brand, people are going to know where to go to buy it. But the difference between them staying with this brand, retaining that brand loyalty and going to a competitor may just be the amount of ads they see to remind them. And because brands can, brands can shrink. I hate to use a really big corporation as an example. It's the only one I can think of now for this particular example. A few years ago, I think it was 2019, Adidas had a record year in sales because they increased investment in their online advertising. But they realized from other things they were measuring that their brand was shrinking because they overinvested in sales after that. Google Shopping. So they actually shifted that. They had to shift back to brand advertising. Then they saw those other metrics for their brand health increase. As you show, you know, sales don't build a brand. So if you have a record year in sales, your brand can still be shrinking. So with this supplement company we're talking about here, if they're not continually investing in the advertising to stay, to stay top of mind, they don't, it's not so much sales act, like they're not convincing people to buy their product. There may be people who are already customers, but this is a very competitive space and you have to maintain that share of voice. You have to invest in that kind of advertising. So that would be you know, where the measurement shifts from. We don't just look at meta ads and say, oh, the view through conversions were inflating ROAS and it's a problem. It might be, no, this is, we need to shift the thinking here to measuring different things. Yeah, measurement's changing. It's even coming from like our meta reps where now they're recommending mixed media modeling where you are pulling in all of these platforms into one platform and looking at all of the performance together and tracking things where we very rarely are looking at Facebook ads manager for data or like just one singular platform. There's so many other contributing factors, especially as a brand grows. If you're spending $100 a day or $50 a day and just running ads to a lead magnet to generate leads, like you can probably get away with a much simpler implementation of it. But it's just like Nick was saying, measurement itself is changing because when you hyper-focus on something, you can start to get yourself into trouble. So I think we're going down this road of brand advertising from a performance marketer's perspective where it's like spending money to build brand directly in platform. Let's get maybe a bit away. And what are some other ways to build brand? Maybe they're different from like years past for maybe some smaller businesses. And I will start using a few examples. And since we have an Argentinian on the call, I think one of the easiest ways to build brand is by partnering. You said influencers earlier, Landon, that's partnering your brand with somebody else's personal brand. And I think Messi has done an excellent job and Apple and Adidas, to their credit, too, of using a personal brand in Messi to really, with the expectation of driving sales. So Messi going to Inter Miami is basically taking his giant personal brand. He could have gotten paid a lot more money up front from Saudi Arabia, but by the deals that he got together with Adidas and Apple TV, it's a lot more using his personal brand to drive conversions for them, which are going to drive basically affiliate revenue for Messi. Do you guys have any thoughts on that in general or other personal brands that you've seen drive other brands? Well, the short form video, I mean, is really so important these days and moving away from paid traffic and you know, that kind of performance through marketing, but just organically building an audience through short form video can be incredibly powerful. Yeah, like if you think of 
what we think of as influencer marketing today has been going on since the dawn of time. Like the air, is it air? I believe the documentary that just came out on Netflix on Nike signing Michael Jordan, that was influencer marketing. They're now, they're creating an association between their brand and Michael Jordan. So when you see Michael Jordan, you think of Nike. You think of Dwayne Johnson with Under Armour and, you know, now he's got his energy drinks, Zoa, he's got his tequila. These are partnerships. If you think of Ryan Reynolds with his gin, was it Mint Mobile? Like all of these people, they're creating partnerships, they're creating associations, they're utilizing their attention. And like you said, partnerships, I think is amazing because it's really just attention. So you can either pay for it, you can earn it through organic content, blog posts, SEO, podcasting, YouTube. What we do as performance marketers is you can pay for it or you can partner with people and just simply place yourself in front of somebody else's attention and create a lot of benefits from it. And like the easiest way to do that that we see is influencer marketing, UGC content in the performance space. That could be like a joint webinar doing a live. Me being on this show is building my brand from the customer acquisition show. Like Kasim being on perpetual traffic is assisting Kasim in his business. This stuff is happening everywhere that we see it. It's just when you start to pay closer attention, you're like, oh, that's what they're doing. Oh, that's why they did that. There's so many instances of it. I like, I love this stuff. Yeah. Main thing I got thinking about this week's special traffic, we had Nathan Hirsch from freeup.net, which was a basically outsourced or hiring Filipinos for your outsourced workforce. And he basically built that business through partnerships with businesses that serve the same people and then through affiliates, but not like the typical affiliate marketing. Basically, anybody he got connected to, he offered a referral fee for referring his business. And that word of mouth building the brand to free up really made it a lot more authentic and built the brand to a point where he was able to sell it. So I think you don't have to think so much about spending directly on brand advertising or getting big influencers even. It's finding partners in your space that you can benefit each other and and grow together. And then turning each of your customers or people that you talk to into advocates. And those are all things that can build your brand over the long term. Like my wife, she was in the coaching space and the way that she built her businesses is she just made connections and she put on workshops for people's communities. They were non-competitive. They were complimentary. She built great relationships. And then she would go on on like a monthly or quarterly basis into someone's Facebook group, into their private community to teach their team. And that's just, that's partnership marketing because she's putting in that time and she's delivering them value. She wasn't getting paid for it. And then those people, like people just start to trickle and would sign up for her programs. Right now, I had an idea of this AI tool that I want to build for podcasting. I'm not going to give it away because I don't want anybody to steal it. The first thing that popped into my head is I reached out to a few of the people that run podcast companies where they do short form content, they have podcasts and they teach podcasting to people. And I'm like, hey, what do you think of this idea? And they're like, I would love it if when you build it, I want to be a tester. And like, I know that they have communities. I know that they have newsletters. That's partnership marketing. When I build this tool, they test it. Now, they do a TikTok on it. They put it in their newsletter. Even if I'm paying for that, these are awesome. I'm just trying to put it together, like the little clues you left, like, okay, teaching podcasting, reaching out to partners. I'm like, what's he building? (laughs) Yeah. And I don't want to glaze over your point, though, Nick, as well. Like with organic social media, it's never been easier to reach new audiences because of what TikTok came up with with this discovery 
method of social where you're not going to your current clients or your current fans, you're potentially going out to anybody out there who might be interested. I'd say that is probably the cheapest and easiest way to expand and figure out what your brand, even if you don't know what your brand is, figure out what your brand is, who resonates with it, and then slowly build that over time. And that just comes from pumping out content into these discovery right, feeds. Right, right. And it's free. I mean, there's a time investment, of course, but you're not paying to run traffic on TikTok. But I find the TikTok algorithm, it's amazing. And it learns so quickly what you're interested in. So if you just find these conversation points and things you're talking about, I wasn't doing this for business. I was just doing it for fun. But when I moved here to Ecuador, I would just make videos about my travels around the country. And the videos that would resonate the most and get the most views was always like so unexpected. When I, when I tried to do something, go and watch whales and I had the whales up close and things like this, like nobody cared because they could find all that. When I was talking about things like going to a restaurant and they have these plantain chips here and I said, oh, these are the best thing in the world. And people just loved it. You know, it was just, it was like, gosh, this was, I did this as almost like a joke. But so by getting in front of the camera, just talking about what you do and what you know, you're going to see patterns in how people are resonating with what you're saying. And it's going to give you real insights into what kind of content you should be creating more of. It's not going to cost you money. It's going to cost you, really, it can cost you five to 10 minutes a day just holding your phone or setting your phone up on your table and talking to your phone and posting it. I think you need to use your personal brand to partner with Ecuador. <laughs> You know, tourism. <laughs> yeah, he's, he, he can start getting some free plantain chips if he uh, if he partners with that oh, with the restaurant. Well, I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, but but like Nick said, we like to think that we're smarter than people very often as marketers, and I hate to break it to everybody, but we're not. We need to put out content, and like Federico said, let them vote. It's like a voting system. They're going to let us know what they want to see, and very often something that, you know, even like Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about, it doesn't all need to be sales content. Like it's a great conversation on branding. But even when you go into organic, don't make it all sales content. Share your personality, share your hobbies, because people connect with people and people buy from people they trust. So you might be the face of your brand. And when they see you, they're going to think of your brand, but you can build a connection with them even on a personal level and then they might do business with you strictly because of that personal connection that they made with you. And they like you more than they like your competitor. This conversation spans far beyond what campaign type we're looking at in Facebook and what conversion campaign we're running. Yeah, I think that organic piece, you're not paying people to like your brand like you would with any sort of advertising. This is like the most authentic way, the most likely people that are going to want to be a part of your brand going forward. And that's probably the place I would invest. I am investing. Even at Tier 11, Like we put so much more effort in just the content. And frankly, not a whole lot of it hits, but the things that do hit are really informative and also set us up building our expertise in the marketplace. There's somebody watching right now that's going to sign up with Tier 11 just because they love your Hawaiian shirt. But I mean, not even just becoming a client. People see other smart people they want to work with. And we've gotten, I think most of the people at Tier 11 came to Tier 11 through perpetual traffic at some point. Yeah, I was listening to the podcast from years ago, even when Molly was on the podcast. So, and when you said about putting out content, of course, it has to be related to what you're selling, but there's a million other factors. Let's say if I saw a video of a guy or a girl and I find it funny and interesting and entertaining, I'm 100% more inclined to buy something from them. If they're selling something that I need, it's just that I relate to the humor maybe. And if they put out content of what I'm looking for, 
they stand themselves as an authority. So if I'm not in the market and in that particular time, when I go into that market, I'm going to say, hey, I remember that guy, he was talking about that thing. So I'm 100% more inclined to go to that guy. It's hard to sell to some clients because you're not seeing anything coming back right away, but it's a long game. And it's putting out goodwill into marketplace and that works. In the long run, it works. And Federico, your example right there is why that company's Google search ROAS is so high. How is brand advertising or brand awareness on different platforms, particularly YouTube? I think the platform discussion comes down to intent behind why and how people are utilizing these platforms. So I guess my question for you, Tom, would be, are you talking about YouTube ads or YouTube videos? Mm. That's a very, very different approach to YouTube. Building an organic following on YouTube, I would argue, is probably very different to building an organic following on, say, Instagram Reels or TikTok. Building an organic following on Meta, on Facebook, on the Facebook platform specifically for a page, I think that's definitely become pay to play. However, you know, building organic following on Reels, that's you know, the short-term content as we were talking about, and they have YouTube shorts as well. Specifically building a YouTube channel, that's still a very viable play. I mean, you look at you know, Mr. Beast and his strategies for growing your YouTube channel, very different from YouTube ads to the point now where we will aim with clients to run YouTube ads on separate channels from their main organic channel. But yeah, like Landon said, it really, I mean, the platforms, if you take into account, that's the question. How are people engaging with the, with the platform? So Meta, Instagram, Facebook, they're scrolling. We got to try and stop the scroll or in terms of stop the swipe on the short from Reels and TikTok. With YouTube, you can run ads where people can't get, you can run unskippable ads. So it's quite a big topic. I don't know if we have the time to delve into it more. But I think I said it best yet, really take into account how people are engaging with that particular platform and tailor your content based on that. Yeah, I think very broad stroke. If you can be everywhere, it's probably the best. If you have consumers that are on YouTube and on TikTok and on Meta, if you can be in front of them across all of those platforms, so they see your ads, they see a couple of videos from you on, on Meta, and then they see some UGC content from you on TikTok, and then they go and they see another ad from you on YouTube. That is going to benefit your brand. It's going to keep you very top of mind. I don't think all of those videos should be the same thing. I think they should be contextual to the platform. I think they should also be likely hitting on different psychological triggers, which is a whole other conversation, but I definitely think you should be on all of those platforms. It's only going to be better. Now, it might only be like retargeting. Maybe you're only showing up on LinkedIn to people that have already been to your website, but you're not going after, maybe you're not going after cold traffic there, but that's still branding. If someone knows who you are and now you're just staying top of mind until they're ready to buy, that's still branding. So I think it's beneficial across all platforms. Great. Well, thank you, fellas, very much. I imagine we'll have quite a few more of these. Like, I feel like we barely scratched the surface. It's like a whole new area and topic. And it's something that we are you know, having lots of active conversations and shifting clients over from being straight conversion clients to spending a lot more in brand awareness, both with paid and on their own socials. If you found this video or anything about this interesting, please hit the subscribe button and like it and share it with people, especially your internal team who might not be thinking about brand awareness at this point. And if you're interested in talking to Tier 11 about how we can potentially take your brand out of the conversion hamster wheel and growing for a long-term business, head over to tier11.com and hit the big pink button. We'd love to chat. Federico, thanks for joining us today. And of course, Landon and Nick, thanks as always. Thanks, everyone.
See ya. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes.